Hello, welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bona Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. How are we doing today, Rob? Oh, pretty good. Hey, this is weird, huh? Yeah, a little, little bit. Uh, little morning action now. Yeah. Set this up for the morning. It's going to, we should call this one Coffee with Wayne and Rob. Yeah, that, that sounds a little, Coffee with Wayne and Rob sounds a little bit better than morning action. Um, we don't usually do our podcast at this time of day, but uh, it's good to be able to get together because I know you're going to get swamped later on in the day. So good deal. You, uh, are you a morning guy or a night guy? Absolutely a morning guy. I, of, of course you are. I, I, uh, is there, hey, could you and I be any more opposite? All right. You're a morning guy. Let's hear yeah. it. Uh, I, I, I'm Okay. So yeah, I told you now, I, I don't want to make a big deal about this, <laughs> but you know, I've been, I go you know to the gym. Every, coming, everybody. All right. I, I go to the gym now every day at five o'clock. <laughs> However, the day before yesterday, I couldn't sleep at two 30 in the morning. I got out of bed and went to the gym. I was there at three in the morning. It's crazy, man. And it was one of the best workouts I've ever had uh, since I started working out again. And believe me, when I talk about working out, I'm a 60-year-old guy working out. I'm not a kid anymore. So, But I will say this. When I'm done, Rob, there's almost no part of my T-shirt that's not, that's not soaking wet. I mean, I, I don't go there to – as a matter of fact, there's a dude there who's about my age. When I first met him, I thought, oh, he seemed like a real cool guy. He was talking to me, and I told my wife, I said, yeah, I met this guy. He's a you know, nice guy, whatever. The other dude won't shut up. And I'm in a gym, and I – I don't, I'm not, I don't want to go there. It's not a social hour for me, man. I'm there to work out. So I put my headphones on that are so loud. He can hear I got it. And then he, he, he comes up to me and I can see his mouth moving. He, he's talking, right? So, I mean, I fire the headphones off. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? I'm, you know, I mean, trying to, you know. But now when he comes by, I not only have the headphones on, I close my eyes. I mean, is that, if that's not any more body language that I, I really don't want to talk to you right now, I don't know what else I can do. I'm expecting a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> hey, buddy. But, yeah, I'm a morning you person. The, you know, it reminds me of a scene in a movie. You remember uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Of course, yeah. Right? Classic. The line where Steve Martin, where Steve Martin says to John Candy, didn't you see me reading the vomit bags? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's very true. I have a point. So you're at a gym at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, what type of people are there at 3 o'clock in the morning? Are there people nope. like, hey, I just want to get my workout in, leave there. me alone, or is there a lot of lonely people there looking for friendship? Because I'm figuring those people wouldn't be there early in the morning. Those people would be there prime time. So there's a lot of, lot of action, a lot of people. Yeah, no, there's zero, zero people there at three o'clock in the morning. There was nobody. Uh, I've got a key to get in, you know, you got a 24 hour key that you get in, but there's nobody there. And at five in the morning, I'm often the first guy there. And maybe there's like three or four of the same usual people. There's one lady there who's incredibly rude. She, she's even worse than me. Now, when the workout's done, it's okay. Say, hey, how you doing? Whatever. No, she doesn't even want that. Uh, she does. I mean, she, <laughs> she could not wanting to talk to anybody less and I, which is fine by me but i am at least polite enough to wave or not or you know whatever but anyhow there's not many people there at five in the morning you need a t-shirt and i think it'll help you out just to, to, to give to give to her no 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 t-shirt you can wear during your workouts just a oh. black t-shirt white letters i don't need any more friends done <laughs> and i think yeah, if somebody walked by and saw that t-shirt Actually, I think I might get one for myself too. That yeah, that could cut down a lot of conversations. With, you know. <laughs> All right. Speaking of conversation, uh, uh, we are going to talk today about moisture mitigation. Moisture mitigation. Here we go. Um, you know, I, I may have said this before, but um, if I, I can't remember if I have or not, but I, I'll tell you something that happened to me, Rob, that, that uh, really was pivotal in my uh, hardwood floor career, and it happened before I even became a hardwood floor contractor, before I even thought about hardwood floors. It, it was the farthest thing from my mind. Uh, when I was uh, 20, 21 years old, I was uh, um, in construction. I was a laborer. I was on a local 304 Laborers Union, Hayward, California. And uh, we would uh, either uh, pour concrete 
which actually um, the proper nomenclature, nomenclature in concrete is place concrete, but uh, 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 we would every day work with concrete. Either that or we would uh, jackhammer out. You know, you'd be running a 90-pound jackhammer all day. And on this particular job, the, the, when you run a jackhammer, wasn't running it down on the ground. Uh, we had to blow out these walls so that you're on a 90-degree angle. So you had it couldn't get the crane in there. Um, it was at a sewage plant. And so uh, we had to blow out these uh, three-foot diameter holes so they could run pipes through them. So that, was a, that was a tough job. But when this is a typical scenario. And it cracks me up that after I got in the floor business that, well, looking back at, at what we used to do, let's say four days coming, right? We're going to pour concrete. And the way this usually works is the laborers get the ground ready. You know what I mean? We get the, we do all the necessary stuff to get the ground ready. The carpenters come in, they build the forms to hold the concrete. After that's done, we put down six mil, mil plastic, right? And then the iron workers come in. The iron workers come in and set their iron. Uh, now you're ready for concrete. Uh, you call for the trucks. Were there laborers waiting on the trucks? And, and this was a typical scenario. Let's say it had rained. It had been raining uh, up until then. We would take stakes and poke holes in a plastic uh, visqueen to let the water run out. It's because, you know, it made our job easier, not walking around in sloshy water. It wasn't malicious. We had no idea what we were doing. And then when the truck would show up, we would um, – if you've ever tried to shovel concrete in in uh, in July or August, especially, and it's hot, and and you, you know the truck shows up, you drop the chutes down out of the back of the truck, right? The concrete starts to come down the chute, and you just look at that concrete, and it's 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 mud, it's slow, it's, it's really hard to move and whatever. So inev inevitably, one of us would always jump up in the truck, take the garden hose, and start spraying water into that mix. Now, when it's going around in that concrete truck, you, the, the, the slurry, now it's, not, now it's just flying down the chute. Now, the shovel it and everything, it just makes our job so much easier. And we'd be thinking, like, why would they, why would they do it? Why do we have to do this for them, add the water to it? <laughs> right. Again, we didn't know what, we, we, it, was, it wasn't malicious. We didn't, you know, all we knew was we got, you know, concrete looks like concrete to us. Uh, but what we were doing, we were making that, concrete extremely porous and maybe when that concrete left the the the, the where they make the concrete uh at the proper cement to water ratio but not by the time we got done with it so then now I fast forward to i got in the floor business you know becca hold on a second hold on a second i've always been amazed about that mm -hmm. that how important it is to have the right mix for water to concrete and it gets shipped out to you Mm -hmm. And even when we did my patio, you know, the, the guy that I was working with just doing my back patio right away, he starts spraying water all over it. And I kind of mentioned that to him. I'm like, Hey, 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 you know, we don't want it to. And I'll tell you, he sprayed too much water on it. And I've had nothing but problems with, with my back patio. And I've always wondered why guys would just well, I knew I knew why they were doing it, yeah. but I was shocked that nobody ever said, "Hey, don't do that because you're going to mix up the ratio." And you know, especially well, on some jobs that it's pretty important. No, that's you're you're uh, you might be incorrect there, Rob. Um, All right, because <laughs> here we go. I love the look you give me. Um, so well, we're never going to be able to go on YouTube. No way. <laughs> They are never going to let us go. Uh, it's right now, it's like fishing with a partner after somebody said something that you, 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 you didn't really get a bite. You're hung up and you broke it because you didn't do something right. And the rest of the day, you can't talk to each other. Um, no, when we're done pouring concrete, um, you, you got to make sure that there's plenty of moisture on that slab. Uh, so we would either, uh, a lot of times we would take a... Um, carpet or whatever or anything and put it on top of it and soak it and water it and water it and water it because you need to hydrate it. Now there's someone probably listening that knows more technical about it th this part than I do, but I know that was very important to us. And then uh, we would uh, take cure oil and in a spray bucket in a spray can and spray it with that curing compound uh, to keep it hydrated and everything. So it doesn't crack out and everything. Okay. So that part is important. So there's, there's, there's two types of water that, that you got to be concerned about in, in the making of the concrete slabs. So, but 
I mean, we made the concrete extremely porous. And so the floor, floor contractor came along, even if he looked and said, okay, it was spec for 3000 PSI or whatever, you don't know what you got. And I think that's why it's so important to do testing. And I, I, I'm going to, there, there's several different sources of moisture. Some are natural and some are artificial. Okay. And, and, and I'm going to just name a few of these and then we'll talk about what's so scary about all of these. So on the, on the natural sources of moisture, there's precipitation, there's dew point, there's ambient humidity, there's sub slab vapor, there's hydrostatic pressure, capillary rise, and osmotic pressure. Man, you really can read. You can, those are some big words there, man. Uh, you know, that's why they make Wikipedia osmotic pressure. Okay. That's the one I was going to ask you about. Yeah. And the I'm others say, I can kind of figure out, but mm -hmm. um, that osmotis, uh, osmotic, uh, what is it? Osmotic pressure. Osmotic pressure. Yeah. You can tell me what that is so I can talk to Pauline I, about it tonight at dinner and she'll think I'm yeah. brilliant. What, what yeah, is osmotic uh, pressure? Like I said, that's why they make Wikipedia. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> On the artificial side, there's building uses. There's ventilation. There's maintenance. There's spills. There's concrete batch water. There's curing water. There's irrigation and broken pipes. So think about I think there's like 11 or 12 different things there. And then the floor, the, the floor contractor shows up to do the job, right? And look how many things right off the bat that you had no control over before you got there that can seriously affect your job. And we talk about testing and, and why it's so important. And, um, I, I, and, and have you ever done this, Rob? Have you ever gone to a job where, okay, your job's starting in two weeks, right? But let me go by the job site and see how they're doing. You know, I know the guy says he's on schedule, but let me go up there and, and make sure that the, the things are the way they're supposed to be. And... I have seen before not one, but two tile guys with tile saws set up in the, in the living room on plywood subfloor and, and cutting their tiles and uh, just water all over water the floor. Water blowing out of that saw, right. Yeah. Well, had you not showed up on that day to see this, and especially if you're sending guys out to the job, the guys would do the right thing. They would, they would put out the building paper, lay, you know, undercut the door jams, uh, which always should be done before putting the building paper down, by the way. Um, because that curve of the saw blade is made up a lot of with the, uh, with the, uh, the thickness of the building paper. Then you put the building paper down and then they're going to lay the floor. But, but look, look what that tile guy did that floor. You think that building paper is any, any, uh, um, defense against any of that. So when we talk about testing, uh, that's, that's why, uh, that's why it's so important. So, Rob, it's for these reasons, this experience that I had uh, as, a, as a laborer that after I got into the floor business and started learning a little bit more about it, it's the reason why I approached every slab like the moisture is going to be too high and there's contaminants on it, especially when we put cure oil on all of our, all of these slabs and you would never be able to see it. You can't tell what it looks like that I approached every one of these like like the moisture is too high and there's a contaminant on it and, and it's, and it's going to cause my job to fail. So you approach all of these slabs like a slab that you had laid. Yeah, I, I, I do because, like I said, you, you, can't see, you can't look to see what, you know, sub-slab vapor is and hydrostatic pressure and all these other things. And, that and, osmotic and, pressure, you can't see that osmotic pressure with, no. your, with the bare eye. No. You need that no. osmotic meter. Yeah, and, and I look at it like this. It's like, to me, if you don't know – what it is, what the moisture is and everything. It's like bidding a sand, sand and finish job with wall to wall carpet and say, Oh yep, your price is four bucks a square foot. And without even being able to see under the carpet, you know what I mean? Give them a hard price. Mm -hmm. You don't know if there's urine damage everywhere. And, and we've all tore out our uh, uh, carpet where there was, you know, you know, like plywood, you know, in sections where they, they took the floor out and they put plywood back to replace it. So, I, I just think that it was an education for me uh, to uh, to have had that job first. And like I said, we've all gone out to the job sites where where the tile guys had the saw in the middle of the living room floors and just a tremendous amount of moisture. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a scary deal. So I, I, when I talk about moisture mitigation, to me, what it is, it's risk mitigation, right? It kind of keeps you out of keeps you out of trouble.
And another thing that, uh, you know, some people will say, all right, um, the NWFA guidelines, you know, I, I, you know, I use the NWFA guidelines and we should there that that's, you know, that's that there. And by the way, they've been updated in 2019 and they're fantastic. I've said that before. I think there's 180 pages uh, in the new guidelines and most adhesive manufacturers, there's one or two pages. So you, whose guidelines do I follow? Just be aware that the uh, manufacturer guidelines always trump the uh, NWFA guidelines, but with, you know, proper preparation coupled with proper installation materials that should leave you a positive results. Let's talk a little bit about testing. Because um, it's amazing when I talk about the moisture mitigation and everything in the training classes, and I say, who's testing? Who's laying on concrete? And the hands go up. And then I say, who's testing? And, man, it's very rare that people are testing, which kind of blows me away. So let's really take a deeper dive into testing. So let's take a Wayne Highlander dive into testing. Which one you really recommend and how they should really be doing it. So um, I heard a quote by an inspector one time, and, and the quote is uh, that, that he said is that floors do not fail. By and large, we fail the floor, and then they go on to break our heart. So, you know, the relationship between moisture and, and, and wood floors has been gone going since the first guy that put in a floor, and it's going to be going on well after we're gone. It's a billion-dollar question, this industry. And by the way, that now includes um, LVT, which we know that you're start, starting to see a lot more uh, uh, mold issues and edge curling and stuff like that. So... For proper testing, you know, you can't beat the, uh, the an RH test. I mean, yes, there's calcium chloride tests, um, and there's, there's um, you know, which I like in the calcium uh, calcium chloride test, I like an X-ray of the slab, right? You look down there, you can see a little bit of what's going on. Maybe it goes down a quarter inch or so. But the RH tests, uh, you know, and both the RH tests and the uh, calcium chloride tests are considered to be quantitative tests, right? I mean, the you know, the other type of tests, you know, this, you know, looking at the slab or it's old enough to be dry or it looks dry. Those type of things are qualitative tests. The sniff test. Sniff test. Yeah. The sniff test. Smells dry. Let's go. Yeah. So the RH test, as we know, you, 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 you uh, drill down about 40% into the depth of the slab. And um, it used to take 72 hours to get the results back. And now there's manufacturers out there. You can get the results back in 24 hours. But I really think it all, it, it, it does start with testing. And I know people say that, you know what, listen, man, it's, it's, it's 2020, there's a labor shortage. It's, 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 I don't have the time to do the testing and what have you. But um, I really think the, the best reason for testing is peace of mind. You know, that um, you, there's a lot of liability out there on that floor the floors are expensive. So to be able to do the testing and, and make sure that, you know, you've, you've done your due diligence. I think it's huge. So we're drilling down 40%. You're going to drill a hole, 40% yeah. depth of the concrete. Yep. Put That's the sensor first, in there. Put the sensor in. Yep. Come back. Wait 24 hours. Yep. How many of these sensors are we putting down? You need three for the first 1,000 square feet, and then one for every 1,000 uh, square foot after that. All right. I'm going to write that down. Because I get this question a lot. Three for the first thousand. Yep. And then one for every thousand after that. Yep. And you know, you you want to be a, a good record keeper is critical. I would even map out where where the tests are and uh, take a picture of them. Put the uh, you know some guys would like take today's newspaper and set it down by it. And um, you know that's not a bad idea too. Take a picture and, and that you know. If you don't do a lot of these, you could probably hire somebody out. In fact, sometimes I think it's not a bad idea to hire it out because a lot of times you see on a job where, um, you know. Hire out somebody just to do the testing? Yes. If you don't do a lot of testing, let's say you don't do a lot of slabs and, and, and it's, a, you know, this is a huge job. You landed an 8,000 square foot job. Um, you know, the, the general contractors are under a lot of pressure to get that job done. All they care about is they want their job done. They need to stay on schedule. A schedule is their life. Um, the flooring contractor, you know, I'll 
or the, the building owner rather, the building owner just wants, you know, a, a, a serviceable building that it looks right and everything. They don't want any problems. And the flooring contractor sometimes gets that pressure from everybody. Hey, this job's got to get done on time. You got this, you know, the schedule, blah, blah, blah. But if you hire out a third party, an NWFA certified inspector, for instance, and, and they don't have any skin in the game, right? I mean, they're just going to give you the, the, the objective results. They do this that maybe you're not so familiar with doing these tests. And sometimes I think that's not a bad way to go. What's a ballpark cost on something like that? Any idea? To have an inspector come out and do it? Yeah. I don't have any idea. I would think I would, I, I, you know, some guy might go like 500 bucks. I would say I would, it would have to be somewhere in that ballpark, you know, and it may be much higher because maybe, you know, there, there's a little bit of liability for the, for the, for the guy to come out oh and get God. involved in yeah. the job yeah. testing. So, <laughs> so he's got a charge for that. But if you look at it though, if you look at, you know, what causes callbacks in the industry, 90% of the callbacks, if you're an inspector, is probably going to be related to excessive moisture in the subfloor or that subfloor not being flat. I probably, I would rather, I'd say that probably covers probably 90% of the issues. The subfloor not being flat and too much moisture in the, in the slab or the substrate. And by the way, if you do have too much moisture in, in, the, uh, in the slab, the best way to dry them out is number one is, is low RH. And number two is airflow, a constant air exchange. So if you want to dry out that slab, you know, make sure you, uh, you got low RH in the building and that you, um, you've got uh, a lot of fresh air exchange, a lot of airflow will help dry that out. So by lowering the RH, I think you're going to be raising the heat. Yeah, you want definitely uh, raise uh, your heat and that's going to dry the air out a little bit and help dry the slab. Yeah, so, yeah. and of course, we say all the time, we talk about moisture mitigation. It all starts with, you know, you know, making sure you're acclimated to wood, uh, get the building ready first, you know, make sure the building is where it needs to be, you know, at HVAC up running and all these different things. And, and, uh, and then when that's ready, then you bring the wood in. And, uh, and by the way, when, you know, we talked about this before that when you bring the wood in to acclimate it, it's not enough to take 3000 square feet of, you know, all, all in bundles and just stack it on in one area of the room. Uh, really, you want to cross stack the, the bundles and let the air get, you know, circulated all through that flooring. You know what? Let's talk. Let's back up a little bit because I don't think enough guys do this. And I think I even think this is where I, I got in trouble on my my daughter's floor was I acclimated. She had a new house. You know, she built a new house and I acclimated the wood. But that wood was not acclimated to the living conditions. It was acclimated to the construction conditions of the house. Yeah. And that floor cupped. You want it was uh, it was kind of embarrassing how you know my yeah my dad laid the floor and you, you know you were always talking about the worst call you're gonna get is a couple months down the road, yeah my floor's cupping. Well, I got it from my own kid. You told her like, she, she just told her she, she overwatered it. <laughs> I can't help you if you overwatered it. Uh, what'd you do? That's what I kept saying. What 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 did you do? Yeah. It was it was fine when I left there, <laughs> but you know, listening to the I forget who was on the podcast. I think it was Howard. I think it was Howard Brickman who was saying that we don't do a good enough job when it comes to acclimating to the living conditions. And like I said, I had acclimated to the construction conditions conditions of the house, which is completely different than what they're going to be living in. Yeah. You know, conditioning the space is about getting the relative humidity aligned with the expected occupancy comfort yes, levels, right? Where they're exactly. Going to be. Right. So it's, it's all part of it. And, you know, and as, as we talk about these things, listen, I, I know the pressures that guys are under and, and I know there's guys that go, yeah, Wayne, great. They should have the HVAC up and running. I, I, yeah, I get all those things, but in the real world, that doesn't happen. Um, the more things you can put on your side of the equations, the, the better off you are. I have absolutely, positively, 100% dropped builders because they couldn't get it through their head the, of the things that I need to have a successful floor. And I'm not going to uh, get myself involved in something because you're behind schedule and what have you that's going to put my name on it that's going to make me look bad for everybody's sake. And you know what? 
oftentimes those builders come back around again. Uh, they get, they get, you know, burned down the road where it, they, they had a failure and then they realize, all right, well, you know what, maybe I should have listened to that guy. And yeah, back. exactly. Yeah. It looks, looks like he was right. So you're still talking to your daughter? Yeah. I blamed it on her. Yeah, there you go. Sweet. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you something else that's very interesting that talks about when you talk about how important relative humidity is to a floor. It's interesting to note that a floor that goes up in temperature from 30 degrees to 100 degrees moves only half as much as a floor that goes from 40% RH to 45% RH. Now, I'll say that again. A floor that goes up in temperature from 30 degrees to 100 degrees, that's 70 degrees up in temperature only moves half as much as a floor that goes up from 40% RH to 45% RH. That shows you how much effect moisture has on wood floors. So the, the process of acclimating the floor to the house um, and moisture mitigation is, is such a crucial part of the success of a floor job. Like I said, 90% of the jobs that fail is either the subfloor is not being flat or, or uh, too much moisture. Since they have, have such, you know, such an outsized effect on, on the success of our jobs, I think this is an, an area that um, really we should really take a look at and make, make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's. You also have to consider um, microclimates. You know, because, you know, I lived in, I was a contractor in uh, California, right? Anybody that's ever visited California in July can attest to this. If you go to San Francisco and it's the middle of July and, and it's funny because you see all the, everybody get off the plane, you know, they go, oh, yeah, we're going to San Francisco. It's July. Oh, it's going to be beautiful nice and sunny. It's California. You ever been to San Francisco in July? Oftentimes it's freezing cold and it's foggy and it's drizzly and it's just, man, it's just freezing. That's why they sell all those cheap, cheap sweatshirts when you get to San Francisco. Why is that? You know, people get off the plane they think oh we're going to san francisco they're in shorts no 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 why is it cold in july in san francisco the fog the fog it you know we never had air conditioning we we lived in san, in the bay area we never had air conditions and most of most of our neighbors no nobody had air conditioning because it's actually kind of cool the fog comes in at night it rolls in at night and it goes as far inland as where we were so it cools into perfect sleeping conditions and in the morning, the fog goes back out. Every day you see the fog roll in in the evening, and then the fog roll back out in the morning. Well, San Francisco, it rolls in, and it hangs around for a long time. So, um, you know, there'll be days on end where it's just foggy every day. Huh. Uh, who saw, I think it was a famous – Jack, I can't remember the, the author said, the coldest winter I, I ever spent was a, was a summer in San Francisco. I've heard that before. Yeah, no. No, I but, think you got it right. Unlike how we never get the rising yeah. the boats, the boats yeah. and the tide in San Francisco Bay, you know, yeah. all rising at the same time. So, but travel 30 miles inland and it could be 90 degrees out, sunny and hot, like you would expect the, the weather to be. So when I say the microclimates, so it's not enough to say, oh yeah, well, it's San Francisco and, and, and the, the, uh, the regional climate should be this. Right. Here's the moisture content Recommendations yeah. for California. Yeah. We're 30 you miles away. At, it's completely different. Exactly right. So the microclimates need to be considered. Also consider that, um, okay, if I'm in New York, yeah, if I'm in New York and this is what it should be. Yeah, absolutely. But what if I'm right on the water or what if I'm uh, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a high rise uh, building and, and uh, it's all window floor to ceiling well, then that environment in there, that is completely different than what, what the norm would be. Well, it's like uh, you mentioned New York. It's like Long Island. Long Island is an island. You know, it's got water on both sides. So it's a completely different environment than where I live up here in the Capital District. Completely yeah. different. So I, I think, in the, you know, you take season contract has been around for a while. They start to understand, uh, you know, what, what, how it's going to affect their environment. That's why it's so important to have those conversations up front with the homeowners. That, you know, uh, look, this, this is, this is the, the ramifications of what can happen. 
And so when they try to, when they, you know, I, sometimes I'd have homeowners try to push this on it. I say, okay, do me a favor, close your eyes and imagine your beautiful maple floors that we're going to install. Okay. Now imagine the, them same maple floors with, with hairline cracks all throughout the whole house. How happy are you going to be with that? I mean, you got a schedule. I got a schedule, but the woods got a schedule too. And it doesn't care about us. So this is not a Wayne rule. This is not a boner rule. This is what have you. This is just, uh, this, you know, this is a Howard Brickman rule. Yeah. In the industry guideline rule. So, <laughs> so the, the, when I talk about measuring, I think measurement is the first, you know, it's the, it's the first step that leads to, to, um, knowing what environment we're going, going into and what have you. So that, so, you know, there's products out there now that there, that there wasn't years ago, you know, and obviously we've got the R540 that for, for subfloors, I think we know that guys don't get optimum conditions. And a lot of times it, it puts them in a position where, okay, I mean, this happens all the time. The homeowner is going to go on vacation. I need the floor done this week. The builder's got you scheduled for this week. You finally get there to do the job and you got too much moisture. It leaves oftentimes two choices. One is you roll, you, you, Lay the floor, roll the dice, and hope to God you don't get that call six months down the road. Or number two, you um, you delay the job. And as I said, we all lived in the real, real world, and we know what that's like too. So having product, products like the R540 has been absolutely a huge mover for us for that very reason. It gives guys a chance to stay on schedule. And uh, so. Well, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into that a little bit too. Before you say that. Before you say that, okay, let me finish my point real quick. It's like we didn't have this technology years ago, and it's just like we didn't have quantitative testing years ago like we do now. You know, all we had back then was qualitative testing. Yep, it smells dry. It looks dry. I think it's dry. It looks like it's dry. It should be dry. It's old enough to be dry. Um, but now we have, we have, and the industry, you know, it's like we didn't have cell phones like we do now we didn't have computers like we do now i mean drum sanders and belt sanders yep so we have technology out there now that can that can help the business so i think when when you do uh for your own sake and your customer's sake and what have you uh, i think that it makes sense to use it okay wayne let's talk about the r540 it really doesn't block and trap the moisture from coming through does it no nor do you want it to. So, you know, you, you don't want to stop the moisture completely from coming through, right? Because you can promote dry rot. So this allows the moisture to still pass through, but it's such a slow, slow, reduced rate that it doesn't shock the floor. That's why we tell people don't put two coats on, you know, on, on, you know especially if you're on a, on a wood subfloor, wood substrate. Uh, some people think, well, if one coat is good, maybe two coats is better. And that's not really the case. You don't want to stop the moisture from, from, from traveling through that substrate. You want to slow it down. You want to mitigate it, right? There's a word of the day, folks. <laughs> uh, a lot of times people will ask me too, well, you know, what about building paper? Do I have to put building paper down? When you're using this product, you don't have to use building paper. Some guys will do it, but you really don't have to. And for, so is this for, okay, my, 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 my substrate is reading 25%. They had a moisture leak or whatever, and I'll just use this. What, what this is designed for is you get on a job and you've got construction dampness. Uh, you know, you want the floors, the, the subfloor to be, you know, around 10%. It's reading 13, 14. This, this allows you to, to get on a job and stay on the schedule. But, you know, like I said, you know, and, and then even then, you know, if I got a substrate that's 15, 20%, I want to know why. The, the moisture is still high. Do I still want to put plastic under the house and do my due diligence and those type of things? Yeah, absolutely. But um, we know that building paper is not much of a deterrent uh, in, in today's fast-paced construction. If your moisture is, is a, even a little bit too high, with building paper, well, the likelihood the floor is going to cup. This just gives you a little bit more insurance that it's going to protect the floor. And uh, when I told my brothers, <clears throat> John Highlander with Highlander Floors, uh, about the product. I mean, um, they use it on every job now and we have guys that, that, that use it on every, every job. And, uh, it's actually, like I said, it's been good for us. And there's so much plank flooring being laid now. I mean, plank is, I'm, I'm just amazed how much plank flooring is being laid now. 
that's the other part of the equation. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't doing six, seven, eight, eight inch wide floors every day. It was, I mean, you remember back in the day when you got a seven inch wide plank, it's like, wow. I mean, it's like seven inches wide, man. It's unheard of. We rarely, you know, we got one once on a blue moon. That one of the all. first jobs Bum ever worked with me, right? I was, it was his first summer of working with me and uh, I was teaching him how to lay out and everything and everything thing we're doing is two and a quarter right yeah well, then we got into this job where it was three five seven red oak with walnut plugs remember those floors oh yeah right so we get the three five seven and he's laying out and he is just blown away you know because i think it was like a 600 foot job and by lunch we probably had three four hundred feet down right and he's like, Dad, we should do this on every job. I was like, Yeah, well, you know, if we go, if we only could, that would be awesome. But you only get these once in a while, right? Yeah. So the homeowner comes walking in. She's looking at it. She's in love with it. Oh, this is oh, this is so perfect. Blah blah blah. Well, the whole time, Bum is just his head has been spinning about how quick we're going. He walks up to me right in front of the homeowner and says, Dad, because the install goes so much faster do you charge less money <laughs> and i just like oh my god i cannot believe that out of all the questions he's going to ask this is the one he asked in front of the homeowner nice now she takes like a step back and kind of cocks her head and looks at me like yeah 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 do you do you charge less money and so then you know you want to see chicken dancing on a hot plate man oh, yeah that was me like, well, you know, there's a lot more going on with the install and you really have to watch the butt joints and recut. So, you know, it's going to go a little slower. And he's like, yeah, but we're flying. And I'm like, oh, my God, get you, you're, you're killing me, man. And I'm with my eyes. I'm trying to look at yeah. him like, please stop talking. Okay. Give that look. Like where I was like, you know, you really don't know what's going on here. I'll, you know, I'll talk yeah. to you later. Yeah. Type of thing. Give me that look like my Mom used to give us money. We used to ask if so-and-so could spend a night when we were kids. Hey, Mom, can Bob spend a night? And then Mom would give us that look like, mm. I'm standing right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't like um, me, Mrs. Islander? <laughs> <laughs> so um, you remind me something on the white plank floors with the dowels in them. Uh, we used to do uh, uh, insurance work. We had to replace some of them. A little trick is you you take a, a washer and black, um, black, uh, lacquer spray paint. Uh, we, when we put uh, tape around the outside of the, of the uh, washer, we would just spray the dowels in and you set them down and you cannot stand back. And there's not one way on God's earth. You can say, look at that. Go, no, that one's not real. That one's real, whatever. Till the next guy comes along and sands them off. Um, but, uh, real, real nice. I mean, there's dials in real quick. And in the old days, some of the old guys um, used to take a punch where the dowels are and, 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 and a really hard punch and with black shoe polish on the bottom of them to give that black dowel look. And you actually see a little indentation. It looks like the dowels like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. but okay. it's like, you know, it didn't get sanded quite flush or whatever. And has, has that look to it. But um, yeah, something else got me thinking about yeah, it. We used to do a lot of painting on the bowling alleys. Um, you know, the range finders, you know, those arrows yeah. when you're bowling and those dots and everything, they're all walnut. And you okay. router them in and, you know, we had, well, sometimes you try to do all of that before you were sanding, you know, and then sometimes you get one that would come up on the final, mm -hmm. you know, you'd be buffing or whatever. And all of a yeah. sudden you'd wear part of it out and, you know, we'd be jumping down and coloring and penciling and, you know, we became masters at that. Mm -hmm. I want to touch on something before I forget, um, we, we talked about using the, uh, uh, the RH, we have to drill down into the slab. And sometimes I would get a question, how do I know I'm not going to drill into electrical or, or, you know, electrical or a pipe or something. There's a product out there called, the, uh, I'll see if I can get this right. It's a metallic scanner, MT6 metal locator. It scans through up to six inches of, uh, you know, of the uh, non-metallic construction materials. So that way you can, do yourself a favor and not drill into a, a pipe or electrical or something like that. So it's called a, a metallic scanner, MT6 metal locator. You better repeat that one. That's huge. 
Because you got to drill through the whole slab to find out how deep it is, correct? Well, you got to go 40% into you, to the depth of the slab, right? right? So just to be on the safe side, because you, you drill into, you know, a pipe or electrical, and you're, you're, now you got a whole other problem. So this, this is a really nice, inexpensive tool. And it helps you map out the, you know, the, the areas where you want to drill or not drill. Mm. It's called the, and I'll spell it M E T A L L I scanner S C A N N E R. It's an M T six metal locator. Huge. There's Huge. probably other ones out there, but this is the one that I know of. Wayne, you know, um, I was looking through your moisture mitigation presentation. Uh, and I think you've done that. You did that in the NWFA too, didn't you? Yeah. That's really it. Can guys get that? Can they look at that somewhere? Yeah, I can send it out to anybody that, that wants it for sure. Hey, anybody, I tell you, if you want to know and take a deep, deep dive into moisture mitigation, this is going to – but there's a picture on there that I saw where, I don't know, kind of pissed me off. I mean, I know you're working out now and you're doing a lot. But there's a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron where they superimposed Arnold's head on your body. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that had to kind of tick you off. That's the best of both worlds. My head on, on, on his body. Yeah, that's did, did right. I tell, did I ever tell you about my Las Vegas weightlifting story? <laughs> no, you have not. I was in Las was Vegas. It a bodybuilding contest or was it a weightlifting? No, it was neither. Uh, and this was like maybe 10 years ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, Rob, I wasn't in great shape. You ever been on Fremont Street in Las Vegas? Yeah. Oh, it's a circus, right? There's all kinds uh, of, of, of uh, interesting I characters. I think that's the best part of Vegas. I love going there. I do too. $2 crap tables. So these two dudes were down there with no shirts on, right? And, and, um, Huge bodybuilder dudes, man. I mean, and they were taking pictures. Like, you give them five bucks, you take your picture with them, right? So, how many times did you get your picture taken with? One. So, <laughs> they actually had their picture taken with me. So, they're and they charge five bucks, right? Yeah. And they got no shirts on, and they're they're really deep, dark tan dudes, right? You know, bodybuilder dudes. So I told my wife, I said, "Hang on a second, I want my picture taken with these guys." So I take my shirt off. Right, and I get in the middle of them, and I'm flexing, and and the, the, and then I'm I'm pointing at my bicep like this, right? And uh, the guy starts laughing, right? Because obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm not quite as built as he is by a long shot. <laughs> and then you, we got the picture, and I, I want to caption which one's Irish, because you're not going to get more more of a whiter dude next to two darker dudes in your life, man. Right. Uh, I, I, Every time she saw the picture, <laughs> you know, uh, something like that happened to me one time. I was uh, at an ISSA convention down in Florida, and Procter and Gamble was right across the aisle from us. So there's Procter and Gamble. Now Procter and Gamble makes Mister Clean. So they had a guy. Oh. He's you know six four. He's Mister Clean. Right. I mean, he looks just like, and Mr. Clean is huge, bald, buff guy, the earring, white yeah. pants, white shirt. Yeah. Right. And every woman that walks by him <laughs> is having their picture taken with him. Right. Mm -hmm. So him and I are talking every once in a while. And then like the second day I kind of walked over, I go, look, you know, I notice you never leave here. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to take a break or you want to go get lunch, <laughs> look, I, I got the white T-shirt on. Yeah. I'll cover for you got for you. a while. Okay? And I actually did have my picture taken with him, send it to Pauline. I'm like, we're twins. Look, look <laughs> at it. I found my, my twin brother, my long-lost twin. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. So let's, let's do just a real quick recap here. First of all, uh, we talk about the important steps. One is job site inspection. It's critical that you, you lay your eyes on the floor. And, and there's, there's not a worse feeling in the world when you bid a job, two months go by, now it's time to do the job. And you get there and it's not quite exactly what you remember when you bid the job. Like, oh gosh, there's, a, yeah, there's this. So that time at the, 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 
can get you out of so much trouble by doing a proper job site inspection and taking notes and what have you. Uh, preparing the, the 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 building for the floor, making sure that oh that th- th- absolutely that was the one that I really wanted. Too many of us, I think, made the same mistake that I did, and we go through the process of acclimating the wood, but we acclimate it to the construction site and not the living site. And yeah, yeah. man, I just can't stress that enough because the, you know that one bit me personally. Yep, proper testing. The next thing on my list. Make sure you do your proper testing that you, if, if it had to go to court, it stands up that uh, you do your due diligence. You take your notes, uh, preparing the floor for the building. Now, now the building's ready. You bring the flooring in. Now you got to get the flooring ready. Right. Uh, the relative humidity. You got to worry. Yes. There's moisture that you have to worry about from underneath. Uh, there's also moisture of convenience that, that, you know, a number of any number of ways we talked about all the things you can't even see that could possibly be there. Uh, then the relative humidity, you know, what, what is it going to be like in that house when the homeowner is living there versus what it is like today? Uh, so very important. Um, the subfloor, I talked about 90% of the reasons job sites or jobs fail is either the subfloor being out of flat or, uh, or moisture. So the subfloor being flat, very important. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but in the interest of time, but choosing the proper adhesive to handle the moisture or the anticipated moisture. Um, I see some guys say, well, I use this adhesive on the last three or four jobs. I didn't have a problem, uh, but I don't know why it cupped this time. You know, well, maybe it had enough moisture protection for that one that you only had three pounds or five pounds or six pounds of moisture. And this one, you're up to 10 or 11 pounds. So very important that you make sure you're using the, the adhesive that's going to keep you out of trouble. Have you seen the high dew points set your adhesives up quicker? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. that's something I've been talking about in the classes because when your dew points are out of whack, your dew point is less than five points closer to the temperature of the surface you're working on, you'll start to form dew, which is going to wreak havoc with finish. But I've been telling everybody that it's also going to set your adhesives up quicker because it's like adding water. So you have run into that issue. That is a very sneaky little um, uh, factor that can bite you at times. And then, and then lastly is, like I said, document everything. You know, that way you go into the jobs, you feel like you've done your due diligence, you've, you've done your testing, you've done this, you've documented everything, and, and you set yourself up for success. So there you go. Moisture mitigation. Like I said, to me, all it is really is mis- risk mitigation. You do it because it's peace of mind. You do it because the other guy doesn't. And then uh, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's something good to talk about on the job is that, you know, um, you had five other bids that anybody uh, talked to you about measuring the moisture in the slab. Uh, it's very important. Like I said, it's like, if you don't, it's like bidding a job, a sand and finish job with wall-to-wall carpet. You don't know what really is down there. Yeah. Everything you do after that is guesswork. Um, you, you know, going into a gunfight with a loaded gun is, is you making sure the adhesive is the, is, is the kind of adhesive that can protect you. Uh, we'll talk, we talked about bonus R851 and all its qualities before. We'll talk about it. Uh, again at some point. Um, I think that if you look at the cost of a failure, um, if you're making a 25 margin, 30 margin on all your jobs, and you have a $35,000, uh, $40,000 failure that's coming out of your pocket, look how many more jobs you got to generate just to make up for that one. So sometimes just slowing down and doing your due diligence, um, uh, man, goes, goes miles. I think you also do it because there's a labor shortage. You know, people say, well, I don't test because, ah, man, you know how, you know how it is. There, there's not enough time. I don't have enough people. There's a labor shortage. But I think that's exactly the reason to test. Nobody has time to go back to another job on the other side of town and, you know, when you could be actually making money. So, so I thought we should talk about it. I think I thought it would be a good podcast. So another reminder. And, um, <clears throat> Rob, I appreciate it. It's good to see you again. Off to another year. Have you got any, your training classes scheduled yet? Oh, my God. We're uh... – if you've been thinking about training, get online and sign up because I think, I don't know. It looks like there's like one third of the classes are already, already yeah. sold out. So definitely get online, sign up. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it right now. We're a go. People right are getting on. vaccinated. That's a good thing. Pauline yes. got her vaccination on Tuesday. Is she really? Yeah. Yeah. She works for the dentist. So the, Oh yeah. All the dental 
people. Actually, uh, my daughter-in-law, she's a nurse. My uh, youngest daughter, she's a dental hygienist. Emily, my oldest daughter, she's uh, x-ray tech. They've all gotten their, they're all in the medical. So that was the first people that New York uh, started to get were the medical people. So good, good. So all the women in our lives are going to be healthy and well. It's just the guys, we're screwed. That's what matters. Right. It's all right. Hey, good deal. I know we're wrapping up, but one thing I want to say, you know, that angry woman you've seen at the gym, don't give up on her. No. Nope. Yeah. Keep that Wayne, you know, keep that Highlander charm going, man. You'll win her over. I don't, I don't want to win her over. You want to win her over. You know that you like it. Everybody to like you. You know that. <laughs> Very odd. Keep working on it. Turn the charm yeah. on. Turn on uh, that Nixon charm, baby. No. No. She's, she got a lot of charm that, that, that she's going to get from me. <laughs> oh, you're going to play it that way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll see who can be the coldest there the longest. There you yeah. go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you see, you're playing chess, not checkers. I there like that go. about you. Oh, speaking of uh, playing chess, uh, did you watch that, that that movie on Netflix about the, the, the chess player? No. Oh, my gosh. I got to recommend that movie so highly. A chess movie? Yeah. You're Hang kidding. on one second. All right. I've, I'll do it. What is it? It's called The Queen's Gambit. That is a fantastic. Fantastic season, man. Uh, it's like, I don't know how many shows it is, but we won't watch it all the way through. But it's a good, if you like, a, it's a, man, I, mean, it's, I don't even like chess. I don't even, I don't even, never played it, don't care about it, but it's awesome. It's called The Queen's Gambit. Really good show. On Netflix. Yeah. All right. I'll watch it and talk to you about the next time. There's another show I got to tell you about. Um, I would love to hear from someone from Australia on this show. Because there is a show that my wife and I watch and binge watch all the time called Kath and Kim. K-A-T-H and K-I-M. It takes place in Australia. <laughs> it's the funniest damn show. I don't even think we could have a show like this in America. Uh, but I would, I would love to know if this is big in, 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 um, in Europe. Uh, or in Aust- rather in Australia. Because is it, it is absolutely... Is it it's on Netflix. It's absolutely hysterical. It's called Kath and Kim. And uh, we watch it. Uh, I mean, we binge watch this show, man. It is, it's like so good. So anyhow, I'll throw that out there to you. All right. There you go. So thank you, Rob. Always good to see you. And um, this has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode. <laughs>